Well, good morning. And thank you. We have named you the Holland Flute Choir. So they now uh, have a name and beginning. We're thankful for these folks from our community here in Holland who are able to be a part of our worship today and lead us in that way. That was a piece by J.S. Bach, and I'm very thankful to point out that on November 13th, we will be hosting the Holland uh, Bach Society to place the worship music of J.S. Bach back into the worship of the local church. So we do that even as we're a modern gathering, and I'm going to ask Brent to turn on the video monitor so that I can see something right now. It's the TV right above us. Yep, that's not on. Or is it on? Okay, very good. I get nervous about these things. There's a lot of stuff going on at any time. We're here. The Lord is good. Our call to worship this morning is Psalm 57.9. Um, I'm going to hopefully read that uh, in a responsive fashion so that you can read with me. Perfect. Here we go. Psalm 57, 9, our call to worship. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. We will praise you, Lord, among the nations. We will sing of you among the people. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. For these things we give God grace and thanks. Let us stand and worship using hymn number 219. Jesus shall reign over all the earth. Amen. And have a seat, if you would, please. 
Again, it's my joy and privilege to welcome those of you who've gathered this morning in this place to worship the living God. We've gathered as his people. And the promise of the scripture is that where he gathers his people, he will be present in the midst of them. It's God at work, and we celebrate that. And through the live stream and recording, we're able to be a part in a variety of places and times with other folks. And so we welcome you online and on site. Uh, I've mentioned the Holland Flute Choir, thankful for their ministry and the upcoming uh, November 13th with the Bach um, Society that will be here. I'm very excited about a number of the things that God is opening up for celebration in terms of our worship and our reach into the community. Some things going on today. A coffee fellowship after the service will be in the library there. And then as I typically like to do in classroom number one downstairs after the service, kind of an open uh, interactive time, a question and answer. I love the opportunity for folks to, to dig further in particular things or ideas that you may want to spend time with. And it gives people a, access to me that I'm pleased with. Um, last week, Celebration had a chance to meet Becky Visser, who's going to be leading our children's ministry now. We had that transition. Um, a lot of things going on with children's ministry. One, this Thursday, there will be a uh, family movie time just to gather kids, parents, caregivers, uh, to be a part of things together in the great room. In the weeks to come, we're actually going to be doing some renovations up in the balcony that'll make a much more kind of friendly, child-centered place so that uh, kids can have their manipulables while they're uh, participating in worship that way, so some neat things. And then on September 11, once we're past Labor Day, uh, we're adding some classroom space and focus for kids. So that's just part of our extending ministry to all of God's people, every age and every situation. Now, another thing we use is the online contact card, and we've tried to make this simple. If you will, to that number, text the word CONNECT, you'll get a link to a form that'll let you sign up for the email that I send out every Thursday night. I typically have background material for the sermon, some of the blogs where I will reflect on situations where I'm not preaching and just announcements and things like that. So make sure you're availing yourself of all that. Um, for next week, I will be in Charlotte, North Carolina. We will be there with family for Sunday, and then uh, I'll go visit my mom. Now, my mother happens to live at the beach in South Carolina. So I'll be at the beach in South Carolina, but visiting mom. So Marilyn and I will be gone. Uh, we're here this week, but next week we're gone. JB, uh, the Fusion Campus pastor, will preach next Sunday, and the Sunday after that on the 21st, Professor Wayne Brower, who was pastor here at Hardawike uh, through the 90s and as far as 2005, will be uh, back again to preach. So I'm very thankful that we can again touch that history, be a part of the great work that God is doing in our moment. You get to be part of the coolest thing on the planet. Jesus getting news out of his love and new life for every tribe and tongue and nation. That's what we're doing here. That's what we're a part of. I love our history, Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, each month I take a different question. This month we're going to focus on question number 25, an important biblical teaching and statement. I'll start with a question. 
since there is only one divine being, why do you speak of three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Together, because that is how God has revealed himself in his word. These three distinct persons as one true eternal God.
again. Thank you so much. We appreciate their ministry and work. We're going to take a moment and pray. And then after the Lord's Prayer, we have a special word for our uh, kids. Pastor Mary will be here at the front with them. Uh, But for now, let us turn to the Lord and seek Him in prayer, shall we? O Lord, our God and Father, we thank You that You have made marvelous promises to Your people. And that Your promises are not for uh, the reward of what we do, but the promises are the gift of Your grace. And so even in our stumbling, we have promises to trust. Help us to stand on those and to find the fullness of your grace to live in all that you have for us. We give you thanks this day, O Lord our God, for your kindness to us. We thank you for the hope that leads us through life. Renew and strengthen that hope in us. Be with Heart Awake Ministries as we seek to navigate the times in which we live, faithful to the um, truth of your scripture and for the hope that the church has held for centuries. We pray for the ministry of Watershed, its leadership and staff. And this morning, we pray for Watershed where Pastor Mary will be preaching. We pray for our sister Community Fusion as Pastor JB brings the word and for Pastor Florencio and the flock of Mission that will gather and worship you in Spanish right here in this place in just a few hours. We thank you that you've bound us together in the bundle of your love, that there is a hope and a strength found together. We've been in the habit, I'm gonna ask you to follow with me and pray first for those who are sick and I'll give you a moment in the silent sanctuary of your heart, but I looked over my prayer list and realized that I'm up to 18 folks connected to um, celebration in some way who've either had a diagnosis or in rehab. Uh, So we take a moment, Father, and pray for those in the community of celebration who find themselves sick or dealing with um, a need for your healing grace. Pray for those in your circle of relationships. Father, it has been a hard season, too, of loss. Again, I uh, stopped to add up the folks that I've been praying for who are on the journey of grief, and there were 16 different family circles. As we extend the fullness of your grace to uh, extend (laughs) families in grief, we pray that you would have mercy and be comforted. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have been named comforter by Jesus. So do your work. We thank you that grief is a journey and it is not an identity, but that as we make this journey, help celebration to be an encouragement in the fullness of your grace. Pray for the folks in your circle of relationships who may be uh, marked by this journey of grief. Father, you've called us to be faithful witnesses in this particular place and moment of history, and so we have been in the habit of following your word and praying for those in authority over us. In our regular prayer cycle, today we pray for the state of Michigan and for the government in this locale. We pray uh, for this week following primaries as, again, things begin to move towards a time of our participation in elections. We pray by name for Governor Gretchen Whitmer 
Attorney General Dana Nessel, Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson. Father, for those in the State House that represent us, Mary Whitford and Jim uh, Lilly and Bradley Slaw, we pray for Roger Victory. Father, for those who serve, we pray that you would guide them, that you would bless the land with shalom, that is wholeness, that there might be justice and hope, care for all and rule of law. Father, we pray for the missionaries that go out from Hardawike, many of them into um, closed countries, creative access countries. We can't even mention their names in countries as we live stream. But we thank you that even now the gospel of your grace moves all across the planet. Make us mindful of that and fill us with a great hope. Father, most of all today, I pray that you'd give us discernment to uh, not simply understand the times, but um, as the scripture teaches, to understand the times and what you've called us to do. Help us as a people look to your written word and in that word to hear the voice of your spirit, that empowered by your spirit, we might be a people of obedience. Thank you that you've called us into relationship with you and that um, supersedes any desire of our heart to find acceptance in the world. Thank you that you've called us to be more about the kingdom of God than about our personal comfort. And I thank you that you've given each believer in the sound of my voice a place in your kingdom mission, that you will gift each of us, that you build us together in the body, that together we might make the good news of Jesus Christ seen and known to your glory. Father, thank you that you've opened up the gateway of prayer, that because of what Jesus did on the cross, we can come to you and trust you. Hear our prayer as together we pray with one voice, just as Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debtors as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you. At this point, I'm going to ask Pastor Mary and any kids, if you'd come to the front row here, you can be with her. A few weeks ago, Pastor Mary invited me to where she works at Royal Park, and I got to meet the people she spends time with, and so I was glad to have all of you a chance with Pastor Mary. Good deal. Come on up. You do, don't you? I've been around here for a little while. I thought maybe you would. But I always, one of my favorite times is when I'm hanging out with kids. I love kids. You know why? Because you teach me a lot. Maybe you don't think of that, but you really do. You teach all of us. Sometimes you always think the grown-ups are the teachers, but you can teach too. In fact, the story that I'm going to tell you is about my grandson, who reminded me, who taught me something. So question for you. How many of you have ever played hide and seek? Ah, oh, yeah, I think so. Is it fun? 
Yeah, it's okay. It's good. It's a fun thing. I think all of us, if I were to ask everybody out here, they'd all raise their hands. We've all played hide-and-seek at one time or another. So do you like to hide or do you like to seek? You like to hide? You all like to hide? Is there any seekers in the group? No seekers? No, nah. You like to, you like to hide. Where do you go and hide sometimes? Where? In the basement. Perfect spot. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I remember when I was growing up, I had a perfect spot in the basement. So why do you hide? Why do you go hide? So the seeker can find you? Good. They're, they're deep. They're deep. Yes, they are. So the seeker can find you. All right. So how does it feel to hide? Does it feel good? Is it fun? All right. So here's the story. So about a month ago, we were watching our grandkids, Mia, Jackson, and Jovi. Jackson is four years old, and he had just learned how to ride his bike without training wheels. So that's pretty good, isn't it? So my husband came over, and he got there. I was there first, and then he came. And so Jackson was out in the driveway, and, and Tim pulled up and parked, and Jackson scooted down on his bike, and he wanted to see Papa, and he slid in the gravel, and he wiped out. We all waited a minute. He doesn't like to bring attention to himself. And so I said, just going to give him a minute. I walked over, and Tim walked over, and we said, Jackson, are you okay? And his lips started to quiver. Have you ever done that when you kind of like start to cry and your lip starts to quiver? And he got a few tears in his eyes, but he said, nope, Spider-Man is tough. I said, okay. He says, let me take a look at you. And he had gravel in his elbow and in his knee and on his cheek. So we gave him a minute, and then I brought him inside, and I put him on the counter. I said, let Grandma clean you up a little bit. And his big sister had a wonderful idea. She, did the, she said, I'm going to go run and get him a Band-Aid, because a Band-Aid heals everything right away, right? At least we think it does. Kids do. So she got a Band-Aid. He said, I don't need that. That'll heal. I thought, okay. So I finished cleaning up the gravel, and I put him down, and I said, are you okay, Jackson? He said, I need just a minute. And he walked off into his bedroom, and he closed the door, and I said, it's okay, Jackson. Grandma will check on you in a few minutes. He went into his bedroom for about five minutes, and I went back in there, and I peeked in. I said, are you okay? And he said, well, I needed just a minute. I needed to see if my dog was okay. He has a little dog he sleeps with. And I thought, okay. And then the tears started to come a little bit. What Jackson needed to do was to go hide just for a few minutes. He thinks he's really tough but he needed a minute just to kind of be sad. So when I was thinking about that, there's a passage in the Bible that talks about hiding. And it just made me think about Jackson's little story, and it says this. Hang on here a minute. I'll just read it from here. Um, For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me. He'll hide me in his tent. He'll keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me, and then he'll lift me on a rock. And that's from Psalm 27, verse 5. 
we all do this. We all get bumped. We all get bruised. Sometimes we get bruised and hurt on the inside. And sometimes we think we have to be tough and we have to handle it all ourselves. But just like Jackson, it's okay to go and spend a few minutes with Jesus and just say, help me. Give me comfort. Give me peace. And take the gravel out of my cheeks and my elbow and my knees. So Jackson taught me a very important lesson that day. And I hope that you can remember that too. Shall we pray? Dearest Jesus, we all fall down. And we all think we have to be tough. But we know that you call us. You say, crawl up in my lap. And I will tell you that everything will be okay. Thank you for the hiding place that we have in you. Thank you that you keep us safe in your tent. Bless the kids now as they head on downstairs or back to their seats. And again, just thank you, Jesus, for loving us and caring for us all the time, no matter what we're going through. We pray these things in your most gentle and powerful name. Amen. Amen. You guys have a good day, okay? All right. Thank you so much, Mary. And like Luke the previous week, Mary will now dash off to her second place of ministry. She'll be preaching at Watershed, so covering all the bases. You know, I missed a note earlier on. Those of you women who see in our bulletin about the um, women's walk this afternoon, that's been canceled. So um, you've got the afternoon off, is that what we'll say? Still a lot of things going on, but did want to make sure I got to that one. A lot of stuff to keep up with today. Um, For the summer, we've been working through the wisdom of God. We've been looking at uh, wisdom literature. It's Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and um, Job we'll look at today. We're looking for wisdom for facing real life in light of the gospel of God's grace. Um, Across these several weeks, one of the points I wanted to make is that to really get the balance of wisdom and understand what the Bible is teaching in its entirety, you've got to read Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Job together because they each kind of bring a facet to the diamond. Proverbs, this is about how life usually works best. And so you see, good advice, be careful about what you say, Uh, avoid sex outside of marriage, care for the poor, be honest in your business dealings, do these things and your life will most likely flourish. But because we live in a broken world, it's broken by sin, both the inclination of every heart, as well as the things we do to other people and the things other people do to us. Because of that, Proverbs, if you read it together, is more about probabilities than it is about promises. Remember, the promises of Scripture are about what God has said He will do, not about what we do to get what we want. That's the promises of the Scripture. So Proverbs really doesn't have any formulas, no, no outcomes that you get on, because of your behavior. Ecclesiastes, we looked at that last week, and we saw that when you examine life under the sun, that is, life on its own terms, 
that it really doesn't make sense. If you try to just add up life under the sun without any relationship with the one who's above the sun, the Lord, you're going to keep wondering, how does this work? It doesn't seem to make sense. Today, we go a step further. We look at Job, and we take up the very difficult question about suffering. Often, you think of suffering, and you go, why? What's the purpose? What's the cause? How do I get away from it? Where is the Lord when I suffer? How does life add up or make sense when I encounter suffering? That's the the key thing we'll be focusing on as we kind of skim the book of Job. So that sets you up to hear the Word of God. I'm going to read um, several verses from the book of Job and then kind of teach and talk through it. Hear the Word of God beginning at Job chapter 1 verse 1. In the land of Uz there lived a man whose name was Job. The man was blameless and upright. He, shared, he feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all people in the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. One day, and now it changes scenery, changes setting, One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. And you see it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's the proper name of God who revealed himself to Moses. Ecclesiastes never mentions the Lord. It speaks of God, the divine. This is God who reveals himself as a person, a covenant maker. The angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. You know the story from there, there comes a season of deep, unexpected, undeserved suffering for Job. His friends come and for a number of days they have good counsel, they don't say a thing. And then things turn bad, they start to talk. In the middle of the conversation, what his counselors say and what Job says back to them, we come across this critically important statement of Job. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth and after my skin has been destroyed. What a picture of death. 
after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are willing to give us opportunity to struggle with deep and hard questions. And that you're so committed to honesty and transparency that you let us see what can't be seen for a measure of understanding into this season of this man's life, his loss and his suffering. Holy Spirit, thank you that you guided the authors, the writing, and that in an amazing way you've preserved it across centuries that now we might hold this and pray, Spirit, finish your work, illumine our hearts and minds to receive. Have your way and your work in us, gracious God. Equip us and prepare us to stand to the glory of Jesus in this day and time. For we pray in his name and all of God's people said together, amen. Amen. Job is 42 chapters long. We'll only look at a few verses. Basically, the beginning two chapters and the final chapter kind of form a a prologue and an epilogue, a beginning and an end. The middle part has its place, but it's all about the kind of um, impact and conversation that these folks have. I've entitled this, When Life Just Doesn't Add Up, and I'm going to carry that theme about life adding up. See, I sense every one of us wants to make sense of the world in which we live, getting harder and harder. How do you get things to add up when this happens? How do you view that event or or this actor on the stage of history and make things add up? Job is key. We have this deep yearning to make sense of the world in which we live, even in the midst of its brokenness. We want things to add up. And for Job, the story begins, life is adding up. It makes sense. Now, some of you will be quick and realize it seems to only add up for five verses of 42 chapters. That should cue you into something. But here, it kind of makes sense. Job is a good person. We observe all these things. And good things are happening to him. All is right with the world. Or so we seem. There comes a peek behind the curtains, if you will. I love that particular scene in one of my favorite movies, The Wizard of Oz. Remember Toto, the dog pulls back the curtain. And there's the flim-flam man trying to present him as something he's not. Ignore that man behind the curtain. Well, here the curtain is pulled back and we get to see into something that typically we don't. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them. This is like a heavenly meeting of queen and the prime minister and her cabinet. The angels like cabinet members join around and in the middle Satan, the accuser is the word. That's like the queen meeting with the prime minister and the cabinet members, and there's Vladimir Putin. How does this work? The Lord says to him, have you seen Job, blameless and upright? Satan says, upright only because you've blessed him. When he suffers, he will curse you. Satan is saying, the only reason... He's good is because it pays off. Because it adds up, you see. Once it doesn't add up, he'll curse you. 
the Lord said, I won't make him suffer. You make him suffer and we'll see what happens. Now, friends, this raises the stakes. I want you to see this. It's powerful. We're dealing in this book with more than just a broken world. We're facing active evil. Let me differentiate for you. I drive an old rust bucket of a Honda Civic, nearly 200,000 miles on it. One day in this broken world, you may drive down the street and there's Bill standing beside his broken down Civic. It's a broken world, life happens. Sometimes the broken world affects us through other people. It's a different thing if a driver runs a stoplight and hits me. Still, I understand that people get distracted, things happen, and things break down. That's suffering in a broken world. I can make sense of that. Job is about something more like this. I'm driving down the road and a sniper shoots me through the windshield. It's active evil from outside that dramatically, painfully affects my life. And one of the things, we work hard in the Western world to avoid it, but we need to come to grips with the reality of purposeful evil from outside even a broken world. There's more happening here than just the brokenness. I've kind of grown up in the shadow, if you will, at least in the history of the culture, of Charles Manson. I remember being in a band and we were learning songs from the White Album and then suddenly we read the newspaper and there's these horrific murders in Hollywood and they're putting those song lyrics and titles in blood. All of a sudden, all those songs were off our playlist. And you'd read about what was going on with Charles Manson and the impact he had on these people and the things that they did. Later as a college student, I remember in psychology class, you know, you'd watch interviews with him and begin to get a sense of what's going on there. You could read about the people who'd been in his um, gathering of folks, you hardly know what to call them, over the years. You watch his life in prison. And I want to tell you something. Charles Manson grew up with a traumatic family life. That affects you. Charles Manson damaged his brain with LSD. I'll grant you that. Are you, you aware, by the way, that in California now, the legal marijuana comes with a health warning for what it does to your mind? Fascinating. Let's make it legal and then we'll test and see what it does. Charles Manson may well have had schizophrenia or a mental illness, but if you've ever watched him, I want to suggest to you that traumatic childhood, drugs, mental illness are real and had an impact, but there's more going on there. You can't reduce Charles Manson to those three things. There is more. We were talking about this as a preaching staff, and Jeffrey Dahmer said, yeah, I grew up in Minneapolis. I remember hearing about Jeffrey Dahmer, the Minneapolis cannibal, murdered 17 men and boys over 13 years. There's more going on there than just a troubled early childhood experience. Have you ever seen the movie Triumph of the Will? 
It's a cinema masterpiece. Students study it. But it's um, Lenny Rufenstahl's 1934 documentary of the Nuremberg rally of the Nazi party. And I want to suggest to you, there's more going on there than just staging. There is a reality to evil, and Job, the book, deals with that. Several quick observations I'll make for you because we're moving quickly across this. We see that the Lord does not initiate this suffering. It's Satan who comes and says, you do it. And he says, no, but I'll release you too. So that's the other challenge here. We see in God's world that he does allow that evil to happen. He does not initiate it, but he does allow. It's clear the Lord will limit Job's suffering to this point and no more. And it's very clear as well that the Lord himself will end Job's suffering. Those four things, and you see the opportunity in the sermon outline in the bulletin to kind of dig into those. Powerful to meditate on that and begin to get a sense. I live in a world where this is part of the revealed reality. I'm thankful that suffering at the hand of evil is never the final word. But I realize I've got to come to grips with it. It doesn't explain everything that I suffer. Sometimes it is just my broken down car but I'm not gonna be able to face some of the evil and suffering I may face if I don't deal with the reality of evil. Listen to what uh, Tim Keller writes in his devotional. He and his wife, we've been encouraging you to read through this in the course of uh, our study. It's a year-long look at uh, the wisdom literature. He says on March 14th, God allows Satan only enough room. Remember, he limits, he ends. God allows Satan only enough room to accomplish the very opposite of what Satan wanted to accomplish. Ponder that. I highly recommend, if you want to dig deeper into this, to get that Navigating Life with God's Wisdom devotional on March 13 through 23, 11 readings. Each one would take about five minutes. It's got reflection questions, prayer. Walk through Job with Tim and Kathy Keller. And here's a guarantee. I don't guarantee much. But I'll guarantee if you look at those 11 readings, five minutes, about an hour, you will gain more from that hour than any other hour you could find on broadcast TV, cable, or streaming. You want an hour of Netflix or an hour struggling with challenging life issues and coming closer to God. You see, friends, we get this peek behind the curtains and there's a challenge for Job. His life adds up until it doesn't add up. And now for some 35 chapters, chapter two through chapter 37, his friends come and they talk back and forth his friends are trying to make it add up. You must have done something wrong. Job says, no, I didn't. His friends say, are you accusing God of being unjust? Job says, no. His friends, their challenge is they want to make things add up. And this is a moment where with what you see in the world, it's not going to add up. There will be moments in your life 
I'm guessing many of you have had them. I certainly have had some moments where life didn't add up. The gospel transformation, Bible study notes on Job, write this. From a gospel of grace point of view, both Job and his friends argue this. They argue on the wrong basis that Job accuses God, his friends defend God. All of them, though, are viewing God in action consequence terms. Good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people. No. The gospel teaches a very different revelation of God. God loves his own with a love that operates apart from and beyond questions of merit and behavior. God shows his love for us, it says in Romans 5.8, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The gospel insight, which emerges like a supernova in the person and work of Jesus Christ, puts a person's moral standing before God on the basis of his grace alone. That's why it's so critical to see, beginning in chapter 38, after these chapters of back and forth, Job and his friends, the Lord shows up. And it's amazing here, God speaks for himself. And he says to Job, who are you? It's as if the Lord wants to say to Job, you just can't do the math. You're un- Look at what I've done. Could you do this? Job finally replies in chapter 42, verse 1 through 6, I was wrong. I repent. Friends, this message of Job is not about all types of suffering. Sometimes the world is just broken. But here in Job, it does teach us that some portion of suffering that we will face is rooted in evil that actively seeks to undo God, his kingdom, and his people. Through the course of our life and experience, I believe all of us will face suffering that cannot be understood or reduced to an equation of behavior. And if we can't begin to get a grip without facing up to this sort of outside willful evil, then that sort of suffering, it will get us. Job would say in chapter 13, conversation with his counselors, though you slay me, yet I will hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. Think about that. Job here says, though he slay me, But the Lord was not the one who was slaying Job. There was an actor from outside of willful evil. So Job was wrong there. Job's self-defense that he would stand before the Lord, that's not going to stand up either. But there's one true statement in the midst of that. Uh, Yet will I hope in him. It's as if he's saying, just like Proverbs, I will place my trust in God and lean not on my own understanding. You see how wisdom, trust in God, even when it doesn't add up. That is our gateway, the bridge to understanding more. I want to touch some things real quickly at the end of the story here. This is just 17 verses, some things we can see. As we come to grips with this kind of suffering that has its root, not just in the brokenness of the world, but in willful outside evil, we need to realize the pain is real. There are people in our circumstances, sometimes we, 
The pain is real. Friends, denial is just a cheap way to try to force things to add up. The counsel of Job's friends may work in their little equation, but it doesn't work for Job. I've had to learn, and C.S. Lewis's book, A Grief Observed, is such a great teacher of this, that sometimes the people that God has called you to love don't need an answer, they just need you. Be like Job's counselors when they were saying what was helpful, namely nothing. Just show up. You got to bring something, forget the words, bring a casserole for crying out loud. Make sense of the world. I love you. We need to realize that the pain is real and sometimes it just doesn't add up perfectly. If you try to squeeze things into a mold that's as big as your understanding, you will never deal with reality. To do that, it's going to take the posture of humility. In uh, Job 42.3, he says, I am nothing. I am below you. We've talked a lot through this uh, series on wisdom about how we often look at a position. What's a final conclusion? There's a process that leads to that. I think the Saints will win the Super Bowl. I've looked at their roster, process, position. But before any of this is a posture. For that one to work, my illustration, I've got to think NFL football matters. But we've talked about the posture of letting the world be God-centered rather than self-centered. See, if you start trying to figure out life from centered on the self, you'll never get to a meaningful conclusion. If you'll start by saying, wait a minute, this is the work of a loving God, help me understand. That posture of humility will enable you to look at suffering, to say, I'm not sure I can explain it, but though he slay me, yet will I trust him. The other thing that this does is bring us to, a to the practice of repentance. I'm sorry. It's interesting how many times Job in this last chapter says, I repent. I used to think this, but now I think that. I used to think that if I was good enough, God would bless me. I now see that whether good or bad circumstance, the Lord is at work. I repent from my previous unbelief my previous trust in self, my previous making things add up, and I trust in a God who is at work even when I can't see it or understand it. Look at the fruit that this bears in um, Job's life. He becomes a man of forgiveness. You know, he's got to forgive his bad counselors, his friends who just heaped on shame and aggravation. If his life is anything like my life, if my life is like his, I know also he may first have to do some work about forgiving God. Church people usually cringe when they hear me say that. But I hear so many people sitting in churches in the United States frustrated by God's unfairness, frustrated by what's happened to them that they did not deserve, frustrated by this or that. That if you could just be quiet and honest in your hearts, there's, there's an anger, there's an offense with God. And the first thing to say is, 
I'll let you be God and I'll be your creature. I'm not holding a fence with the living God. So having released his offense with God, now Job can forgive his friends and then he becomes an intercessor for his friends. That's a great part of the story that I'll just skip over. But he prays for those friends who heaped upon him all that kind of shame and abuse. By the end of Job, we see that normal may return He's got children now. His flocks and herds are returned. But Job is a different person. And that may be a glimpse into part of what God is doing. He's making Job something he could not be otherwise. I've wondered, why have I been through some of the events and circumstances I've been through? Could I not learn easier, Lord? It's as if the Lord says back to Bill, Not really. That's why you're in the hospital with a broken femur. That's why you're a 40-year-old father unemployed. But here, though I slay you, you will trust me and learn deep things. In Job 19.25, and we read this, we hear this. I know that my Redeemer lives Job is looking for something outside of him. It's not what he will do. It's his redeemer. And in the end, he will stand on the earth. He has a sense that his redeemer will take on human form. And after my skin has been destroyed, after I die, yet in my flesh, I will see God. In my physical body, after I die, I will see God. I myself will see him. It will be me and not just some spiritual apparition of me with my own eyes, I and no other. How my heart yearns within me. Job and you and I are created for something beyond death where we will see God and the yearning of our heart will be met. How did Job know and see this? The Holy Spirit gives him this hope. We now see it in light of the cross and understand, ah, God himself would take on human form. God himself would come and raise people from death to life. That's the gospel. It's amazing to me how powerfully this uh, speaks of the experience of Joseph. I've included this passage from from Genesis 50-20. Do you remember the story right there at the end of the first book of the Bible? One of the sons of of Jacob is sold into slavery. He's betrayed by his brothers. He's betrayed by his master Potiphar. He's left in prison. And there comes this time uh, he's raised up and now provides for the whole nation of Egypt. Even people outside the covenant are blessed. But at the death of his father, his brothers come to him and say, please don't kill us. Please don't make things add up. We made you suffer. Please bring forgiveness, not revenge. And listen to what Joseph says. It's it's the living out of the whole book of Job. You intended to harm me. Could Job say that to Satan? Yeah, because that was Satan's purpose. You intended to harm me, but God 
intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. The, the verb there is so fascinating. You took it and turned it to something different. What one intended for evil, you used to bring about good, the saving of many lives. Friends, there will be moments where life doesn't add up. There's a heartache. There's a suffering that's just bigger than I can make sense of. I want to tell you, there's a hope from outside the equation, from outside the creation. I know that my Redeemer lives and I will see him. That's the hope of the gospel. And with that hope, we face evil, press back on it to eradicate it. We enter into the lives of the suffering with a news that's better than just go behave. This is the gospel. I know that my Redeemer lives. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you for your marvelous love and that even in those moments where we face real evil, you don't call us to denial, but you call us to hope in you that you, our Redeemer, lives. And so that gives us a hope and a message for ourselves and to bring to others. I want to pray for anyone within the sound of my voice who may have heard this word about evil and this, this pointing to suffering. And I pray, Father, that you would guard them from any sense of condemnation, that if there's things you want to change in their life, that by your grace you do that. But if there is just wickedness pressing in on them, that you would not let them hear the voice of condemnation, that orphan voice, but instead they'd hear in this that beyond their suffering, there is a hope. And his name is Jesus, God in the flesh, who would give his life for ours. What a marvel. Fill us with that hope and give us a strength to the fullness of your grace and glory, we pray in Jesus' marvelous and mighty name. Amen and amen. Let's meditate on that word as you minister one more time.
Thank you so much. I'm going to ask that you stand and receive the benediction. A great promise from the book of Jude. And now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God, our Savior. May there be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, both now and forevermore. Amen? Amen. And amen.